If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Live on Four Legs Podcast and on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to say uh, I am a donut. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossip! Fucking Cameron in the truck. Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, the definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. Whether you're listening to the first episode, whether you're listening to this for the first time or the 78th time, welcome, welcome back. What we are is we're a Pearl Jam podcast and we primarily focus on Pearl Jam live performances. Anything from back in the day, back in 1992 to something that we're doing today, a very popular show from 1996 to something very current. We've done shows in 2018 and 2016. We try to get everything in to tell a cohesive story about the great band Pearl Jam and that's what we're here to do today. Randy Sobel here, John Farrar over there, Hello. and Chris Buckley over hello. there. Hello, hello. Glad to be back. Hi. We uh we haven't done the three of us on a show ever. No. This is going to be fun. This is kind of making our own history here. Yeah, but, the, sh- the uh, show's the show's important. It, it 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 needs the three of us to to fully get the full picture, I think. Yes. Yeah, definitely getting a lot of different perspectives from this one because John, I think your perspective is the one that I'm going to be looking to the most because you were, you know, you were flipping tapes and you were listening to the show as it was going on live and you know Buckley and I we can we can react to that and and I you know I think it's all going to be about the time period here and what was going on in 96. They did this in 94, they did this in 95 with a couple of really big important shows. Yet it feels like this Berlin 96 show while it's still popular, it kind of has this pale in comparison to the Atlanta and to Soldier Field when you think about it in the grand scheme of things. And I, I, I think what I would like to do on this episode is to, because this show is, is fantastic, to put this into the upper echelon with the other two. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember, I would think I was a junior in high school when this was going on and I remember because it's you know the because of the time difference it aired at like three four o'clock in the afternoon so I was able to like get home from school and hit record and I I, I was going back and watching it like all of the 
just like Atlanta, like all the stage banner and all the in-between song stuff, like I, I can just recite from memory still. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it was just ingrained because I listened to this, listened to this so much. Um, but yeah, like 1996, again, it was, things were, it was different than in 1994. Like in 94, they were still kind of on the rise and you could tell there was like, there was like a tension there. In 96, they're more relaxed and like things are different. Like no codes out, It they're not, on the on the top of the mountain like they were with versus vitality so they're a different band they're kind of moving into that like you said more comfortable territory um it's still the you know non-ticket master kind of thing going on where they're playing all these random uh venues and and things like that and it's I think there's still a tension there. I, I think that's definitely still weighing on the band. I mean, I've read a couple things online where I think Stone makes some sort of comment saying uh, it was stressful being, you know, trying to tour at that time, and it was becoming more difficult to be excited about being part of the band. And uh, there's definitely still that feeling of them trying to find their way, so to speak. But I don't think it's it, it's quite as bad as as '95. Um, it's the last full day tour with Jack Irons. I think that's worth mentioning. Uh, obviously before he leaves before the yield tour in 98 and Matt Cameron comes in. So you have the whole Jack Irons element and, and, you know, the middle drummer of, of the, the main three for the band. And some people I see online, they prefer Jack Irons drumming to Dave A or, uh, Matt Cameron. So it's another, uh, element talking point here. And, I think just all around, it seems like they're really up for this show. And I, I'm glad I watched the video. It was really uh, a, a treat to go back and, and revisit this bootleg, this performance. I had never watched the video all the way through. I've seen little clips of the show here and there. But I took the time to actually sit and watch everything. And they, first of all, God bless whoever actually got that camera in there and just sat there with the camera focused on the stage the whole time because <laughs> they did a pretty good job if you watch it on youtube it's it's some good stuff if you have a chance to go look it up um and there is a, a version on there from a pj video guy with the better audio recording dubbed over the uh vhs era video there um so the they they really seem i guess because it's on the radio that could be part of it they seem to be up for this show they're very it's a very tight show a couple Eddie Flubs here and there. Um, they actually seem to be playing some of the songs pretty fast, which I guess could also uh, just be the natural, you know, thing of playing live. They tend to play a little faster live, but maybe it is that radio element, knowing that they're on the air and, and there's you know tons of people around the world and radio stations listening into them. Um, but all around, a classic show. The Checkpoint Charlie show is the you know the. Uh, unofficial bootleg name i guess we would say of the radio broadcast that john and everybody else is familiar with and um widely circulated i mean you know i'm obviously the i'm the youngest here but i i've known about this for years it's a very among the fan base very very popular show november 3rd 1996 at deutschland was it deutschland hall i would deutschland say hall. deutschland yeah. hall uh, we'll just in Berlin, Germany. German Hall, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and the, the funny thing is, is everyone, if you, you know, if you go deep, and a lot of people say that the next night show is even better, the crowd right. better, you know, Eddie seems to be better, like you mentioned there, there are a couple of mistakes, I don't think it takes anything away from it, but yeah, we're going to have to do that Hamburg show at some point, because people say that one from the next night is even better. I think, I, just mm. one more quick point, I, I speaking of flubs, I actually think the most noticeable flub is on arguably one of the best performances of the night, of the songs of the night. 
Save that thought. Yeah, so we'll get there. And yeah. we will get to there. Yeah. Let's real quick just kind of plug Patreon and what we're doing on Patreon lately. And uh, I give a shout out to Chris Pullman who joined Patreon. Thank you, Chris. A longtime listener. So uh, thank you for joining up. And if you're interested in getting some exclusive episodes and donating and helping our cause to the show with just pretty much helping us keep afloat and putting out uh, new episodes every week and, and you know, keeping keeping this thing alive, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash live and four legs and we continue to churn out new exclusive content with the Evolution episodes. Uh, Immortality won the tournament, so Immortality will be out in May and we're going to continue on the Bridge School series. We'll get back to uh, and do the Night 2 from 96. I wanted to, to thank all the people that listened to the uh the Pearl Jam Radio wish list that I did and sent me some some nice feedback on that. So thanks to everyone who who listened in and commented and said they enjoyed it. It means a lot. Thanks. And thanks to Pearl Jam Radio for playing that entire improv <laughs> before Immortality. Oh, yeah, they didn't great. have to do that. They went over their uh, allotted half-hour time time limit <laughs> that I'm sure that they have for these things. But, yeah, th- that you, was a really uh, good people, wish list. If people didn't get a chance to hear it, I might uh, put something together and put it up on Patreon or something if people really want to. Perfect. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, let's uh, let's dig into the show. So again, this was broadcast live over the radio, uh, thanks to Radio Fritz, and it, in the same way that Atlanta was broadcast live, Soldier Field was broadcast live. Ed doing the same thing with uh, Monkey Ranch Radio at the end, spinning some records. Um, and it's '96. You know, they're not playing Ticketmaster venues, and they're just kind of doing their own thing. So when they they start a show like this it's they're starting off with the merkin ball uh song long road and it's only the 10th performance that they've ever played of long road which is interesting for it being 96 that, that that to me tells me that this is one back then that's kind of in their rarer uh arsenal so whenever they do bust it out it's kind of like the oceans it's kind of like the wash where you kind of know you're in for something special at this point. I just love the way that this show opens up. It's the classic slow opener. And then, you know, at this point, I, I think they're in the, a point where a lot of their songs are still, you know, you don't have the slower tracks of a yield or a binaural or, you know, um, avocado or like the later albums where a lot of the songs are, and the more popular songs at this point are pretty fast paced. Um, they still have a, I mean, they're still high energy today, but there's just, you know, they go to their traditional, like, energy, fast-paced, two, three, four, five, six songs in the set kind of deal where, you know, you get this slow, pretty lengthy opener with Long Road, and then from there they just flip the switch, and it's like the next, you know, until they take a break, like, five or six songs later where Ed will start talking. It's it's pretty, it's all energy, you know, it's, it's all in your face, so. Yeah, Long Road has a tendency to show up at bigger shows like this. And it it's a it's a song that can hold up to the moment, but I don't want to gloss over too. You you didn't even mention the JFK speech that they open up with, right? The, oh, uh, because it wasn't on the runner. YouTube video. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that they they intro with the JFK talking to to uh, in Germany with the translator, and he has kind of some fun with the translator. Today, in the world of freedom, the proudest boast is, "Ich bin ein Berliner." Vor 2000 Jahren war der stolzeste Satz 
den ein Mensch sagen konnte, der, ich bin ein Bürger Roms. Heute ist der stolzeste Satz, den jemand in der freien Welt sagen kann, ich bin ein Berliner. I appreciate, I appreciate my interpreter translating my German. Dem Dolmetscher dankbar, dass er meinen Deutsch noch besser übersetzt hat. Yeah, this long route is, is perfect, I thought. Like, Stone's doing some really cool things. It, it, the guitar tone is really thick and really sounds good. And the song just crashes over and over again. Like, it reminded me of almost like an oceans or something where there's there's waves crashing and it's going up and out. Like, I, I thought it was one of the best versions I'd ever heard. I still love this version of Long Road. I would just say uh, just something as a common theme really for the the entire show is you know with Jack Irons this is I mean this is for me at least the first show I've done uh, podcast recording I've done you know for the show uh, where it's him on drums it's just such a distinct style I I, I feel like he te he leans to my ear more to and maybe not it doesn't really it's not as prominent on long road it's you know more it's easier to hear on and more distinct that stands out in other songs later in the set, but he leans more towards the Matt Cameron style of drumming than the Dave A style of drumming, where he still hits pretty hard. I'm not, I don't think he hits quite as hard as Dave A does, um, but he's got these very distinct fills that he does. Mike Tyson doesn't hit as hard as Dave A does. <laughs> I know, exactly. I love it. Uh, but he's just got these... As If you go back and listen to the set... Um, you know, he's just got this very distinct style that that really stands out uh, for this era. You know, with him on the kit and everything, and I, I just I really enjoyed listening to him specifically, like li listening to these little fills and these little parts that he's you know coming up with on the spot as they're going along. And again, maybe not so much on long road, but as you go along, if you're you know listening back to the bootleg, just something to keep it an ear out for. Yeah, he fits so well with what they were doing at the time. Right. I mean, Aberzies was kind of a square peg in a round hole, and, and Jack Irons fits perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this this four-song stretch that they're coming out of Long Road with is one that you're going to hear, and, and Jack is the most prominent thing on it. And I, to me, it's less of how he hits and more of, more of a finesse style yeah. where – it's like choosing where he does the fills too. It's like exactly yeah, like right. the spots where he's picking to do the little fills that are not in songs, like studio recording. It's not overpowering anybody. Yeah, he slides it in. The, you're right. It's, yep, it's perfectly placed. 
Yeah, last exit is last exit's really a highlight for Jack. He's doing a yeah. lot of nice things, and it's awesome. these, this first five songs, like you said, is is perfect. The way that the way that he crafted this set list is flawless. Like these first five songs, it's it's a perfect way to start. Yep. this era and for the way that you want your crowd to react and the way that you want your radio listeners to react you got last exit animal hell hell and go like that's gonna fire everybody up that's you know there's no there's no joke about that and i think all four of these songs are played at maximum capacity ed's at maximum growl level on most of these especially animal he has this just a very intense way about him on both Last Exit and Animal, which are outstanding performances for all four of these songs, but it's hard to not take them as a section and talk about them all as a grouping because it's just, they're all put together and they're all played in that similar style where everything just feels like the energy is bleeding through the building. Right. And that's really what I was getting at saying before, where you, you, you go from the slower, more drawn out opener of long road into this spurt. This, and, and first of all, the first thing I'll say is last exit's fantastic. It's one of the best performances of the entire show, in my opinion for Eddie in particular. And I would love to just kind of hear what you guys say. I have noticed for the entire time I've been a fan in my head, I always think of a, a lot of how I think about it is, is Ed's voice and the way, not just that he sounds, but like how he's singing. So like in my head, I think of it like 91 to like 94 is like the first era. And then you go from like 95, 96, maybe I guess you could throw in like, I really wouldn't even throw in 98, but for argument's sake, let's just say like 95 to 98. And then I would go from like 2000 to 2000 and like six and then like 09 to 12 and then now like 13 to present like his voice is like no if you listen back to bootlegs like are you, aren't you guys able to like kind of put a good guess into like what year it is based on his voice like am i the only one that thinks like that that would be an interesting little uh i guess experiment to do where we play a song and you and, guess what you know, year one of from. us yeah because i think at this point our ears are trained so, you know from listening to all these bootlegs where yeah I'm, I'm the way that a bootleg sounds the way that a recording sounds i can kind of tell right what era it is and, and yeah, i don't know I, if I that's just so. a, a factor of being you know obsessed with them and listening to so many bootlegs over the years but i, I was just curious if i'm the only one that thinks like that because at this point and the reason i kind of divide it into sections like that in or eras whatever you want to call it is like you really can hear differences in the way he's singing like it's not just a, a the matter of age it's not like just the age factor it really is like his conscious decision to choose how he sings certain songs and I think like this first spurt of songs is it's like they're really, you know, pretty heavy songs and and he's kind of going all out. But as you go along, 
there are songs in the set where in previous years he kind of would like belt it, you know, like really kind of give you that gritty, growly scream. And it, don't get me wrong, I mean, the entire performance, he sounds awesome. But I'm just saying there's really, it's a good way to analyze, I feel like, this like turning point, not just for the band, but for him, where he's kind of moving into this more like laid back vocal style on certain songs it's like the beginning of this trend where he kind of moves in that direction and it's not like you know 93 indio blood every perform you know what i'm saying well too i think he's at this point he's he's i think i want to say he turned 30 in 96 so you're getting into your 30s you're not in your 20s anymore you can't right you know thrash your voice like you did and night after night and expect it to do the same thing so he had to kind of learn through the through his 30s how to pace himself mm-hmm. and how when he can go for it and when he needs to pull back and especially i think on that 98 and 2000 tour they really he really worked on pacing himself yep. and like not throwing all these songs in a row and and yield had some some softer songs on it like you had your wish lists and things like that mm-hmm. where he could kind of relax a little bit and actually sing right but but yeah, I think you though that those that's a pretty good era breakdown of of how it's and and he just won't stop smoking, so it's not getting any better. <laughs> I know, I know, unfortunately. But sorry, it doesn't help that sidetrack. But yeah, it doesn't up. help that through a two-hour podcast uh, on the Bill Simmons podcast, he lit up. About oh my four god, or five times. Yes. So. But going back to it, I want to mention too on Animal. Uh, you hear you hear McCready come in with like a high pitched. Oh he, he, he can't wait to come in. He doesn't even wait for the verse to be over before he comes <laughs> in. He's he's just stomping at the bit to get to that solo. good as a first section that I can possibly think of and it gets you into a couple of uh, of no coders here and Ed's address on the people of Berlin does a little safety warning for everybody in the front telling them to look out for one another and it gets in the red mosquito and this for me this red mosquito I think is one of my favorite performances maybe of any song or or red mosquito or just the show but I there's something about this. I always go back to that beginning part of this red mosquito. And I think to myself, like that is such a cool little interlude before getting into the lyrics. And why don't they do that more often? It's just the little things that they try just to pick up songs, just to add little bits of flair, just sometimes work in such a perfect way. And this is exactly what I was talking about in the beginning of the show where he, misses the cue to start singing he he completely just doesn't i i don't know if something happened on the stage he got distracted or he just forgot but it it almost sounds like it's not a mistake at all right and it it, like it like you said it adds like this little air of like it like it like makes it more attractive and or like enjoyable in a way it's like it's unique
this is you know one of the arguably the best red mosquito performance ever maybe if I think one of the things that that why that little interlude before he starts singing just kind of it just sort of speaks to you it has this warmth to it it's because it's such a kind of a mild backing to what Eddie's doing that you don't recognize what the rest of the band is doing behind what Ed is singing so when you hear that and you hear that it goes into and it's the same part of the same verse mm-hmm. your your head kind of connects two things together sure so it you know when i think of this song now sometimes and i've done this a lot in the last i don't know couple of months after really digging into this version back you know early in the winter um i've kind of grown to expect that this is how the song should end up like this is how i'm expecting that little interlude instead of him singing right after that little intro part so i you know for me that it just it's so prominent yeah i mean the, the the thing that stuck out to me and especially going back and watching the video the band is a they're a coiled snake at this point like they're a they're a spring like they just explode in this intro especially to red mosquito like they come out and it it explodes out of the speakers yeah and i think part of that i think is just the sheer force of it maybe made him take a step back and like i need to just let this air out for a minute before i start singing because he kind of like steps back from the microphone Mm -hmm. and like takes a minute to like appreciate because think about it they are they are just on top of their game at this point. Like they are like, I, you can make whatever metaphor you want to choose, but they are exploding out of the speakers in almost every song on this. Like they are, a they are a sonic force at this point. Like every one of them, they, they are a five headed monster on stage. Like they, they can destroy a crowd. And I think part of it, I think if this happens again, in another song is he, he just can't he just he just steps back and like have to just let this be for a minute and let this music wash over me before i before i start singing get into this i like and this song just starts with a with a bang and like yeah it's one of it's one of the most incredible versions you'll ever hear like i like the stuff with with ben harper and the all that stuff they got into later but yeah, for for ninety six, this is perfect. Getting into the next song and, and the rest of the performances here, that intense drum intro that comes in for "In My Tree," that's oh. like what you were saying before with how you know how prominent some of his hits can be and mm-hmm. how it's not how hard he hits, but it's when he hits. And well, this is the best example. Yes, it, exactly. It's, it's like just every every drum hit is leading towards the next one. He's got such a nice flow and it's such a nice rhythm. Like he's always going for the next thing. Like he plays with octopus arms. We talked about this version a little bit in the evolution episode, John, um, where Ed sort of forgets the lyrics a little bit and he kind of claims midway through, "I fucked this up." And yeah, going this back is to a shitty version of this, right? Going back to a point Damn that Ed. Buckley said, this is a very early versions of this song, and and I look. I didn't think that it sounded all that bad. I thought that they were pretty together on it. I, maybe Ed misses a line or two and, and can't remember, but I thought outside of that it was a really good version. I, oh yeah, Mike Mike steps up and does a real nice version. That, that's I think it's a 
you it it just makes a thought pop up in my head. It's like Ed can you know mess the song up and you know it's almost like he could just like not sing at all and we would still enjoy it. Like that's what makes the band great. It's like you think of so many other bands. It's like the lead singer is like everything and it's like if the the guy's not singing or the girl's not singing it's like it kind of just takes away from the entire performance it's like like the one guy in Pearl Jam if like if Ed is off like can save the performance of the song you know what I mean it's like they're all so individually talented at what Mm -hmm. they do and that's part of what makes them great so even though he is kind of flubbing it here you know Jack Iron still sounds awesome like I love that intro they sound on you know it just everything is is good it's just just an all-around solid performance and even though eddie might mess up i still like like randy said i think i still enjoyed it so yeah no absolutely there's not anything in this show that i could say hey this was this was off and i didn't appreciate it for whatever reason but this was all of this was was fantastic and uh you go into a corduroy and better man in this little middle section here uh i mean corduroy and Better Man are kind of being used as transitional songs, which is very interesting. Especially Better Man, mid-set yeah. like this. It's a hit, and, you know, it's the one that – it's really the first one in the set that people are going to really sing along to, you would think, uh, especially – I would say, know, with, well, cor- Corduroy too. Definitely Corduroy. Sure, but, well. there, you know, you got you to gotta remember that it is Germany, so there is a little bit sure. of a language barrier, so – um, but you know, in any case, uh, like these are great versions of this song. Like there's, they need the power punch of the other songs of like, what is it? Eight songs before better man getting into better man and then getting something poppy and following it up with everything that kind of came after it, like corduroy transitioning into it i i feel worked really well especially towards the end of the song where they sort of trail off a little bit and do the same things that they were doing really early versions in 94 and 95 yeah that's an interesting point actually both both of these songs i'm glad you brought that up it's kind of like jogging my memory now like both of these songs have these unique uh, uh this era thing going on where corduroy at the end like you said they they trail off and eddie's kind of playing like they it's like it's like they slide up the guitar at the very end and then back down it's like dun 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 kind of thing going on which is cool and then in better man again jack irons to bring him up again you've got the uh which i'm sure you guys guys notice i mean it sticks out to my ear immediately is the the like light symbol tapping going on in the uh the second verse where that's not, you know, I don't think that they really don't do that. Matt Cameron doesn't do that. It makes it stand out to me. You know, it's like you got the very light drumming going back, going on at the beginning of the second verse as they kick into, you know, where the whole band comes in. It's like leading into that point, you know, you have the drums. It's not just Eddie, Eddie, Eddie until the band all kicks in together. You've kind of got that drum cymbal light playing going on from Jack Irons in the background, which I thought was really cool. And this too, I think it's, in corduroy, and this is this is the Ed guitar section. He puts the guitar on in mm-hmm. my, in my tree, so we get a little section with three guitars. That's true. It it st- stuck out to me at the end of corduroy watching them because when it gets to that ending, the little the jam part, they go like Jeff, Eddie, and Stone all kind of go to Jack and like have a little they have a little moment together where they're all kind of just like strumming and playing along. They're kind of feeling out each other. They did that a lot. I love this moments. Show. Oh yeah, I love moments mm-hmm. like that when they, when they kind of feed off each other and like you'll see Jeff and Stone come together and kind of 
play off each other for a minute or you'll see Eddie and Jeff go together. And I think when, when Ed puts on the guitar, he really feels like more a part of the band and he feels more comfortable doing things like that, especially a song like Corduroy that he was one of the first ones that he probably wrote on guitar and brought to the band. So I think that that was a really cool moment for me is just watching the three of them kind of huddle around Jack and kind of like take a moment to just kind of play off it for a minute and, and rock out together. I thought it was really cool. Yep. We get into this point in the set where Ed makes a little bit of a joke. Well, this next song, uh, this one's got a, a one word title, but the, the title was almost, uh, can't find a better kitchen. Well, wasn't this written in, it, it was written in Matt Lucan's kitchen or it's about his kitchen. Yeah, it is about there's, going there's to Lucan's. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's definitely, I don't know if it was written in his kitchen, but I'm sure something had to be inspired by it. That does get us into Lucan. And where do you stand on the whole best versions of Lucan? And how do you, how would you describe what would be put into the best version of Lucan? Because if if this isn't close, I want to know what is. I just like when I can understand what he's saying. That's all I ask for. That's kind of that's kind of what I ask. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I, I do ask. like the yeah. yelling. This, you this know. is it. This 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 is the best one. It's okay. We can say. It. hear him for for 45 seconds right. it's like what's the point like why why even bother like i don't sometimes i feel what, like what did when, this one what did this one clock in at do we know uh, uh no uh i can I try to t- I, I could try to tell you by looking at the uh it's probably how I have it like divided. a Hang on. minute a minute and 10 seconds Maybe it, All right. it definitely we got... a little more than usual versions well the file in i in my itunes is a minute 12 Okay. So okay. the no code version itself is a minute oh two, but that could have a little bit of t- like of like air, uh, just you know, right crowd noise, crowd at the reaction. End. So and, it's probably yeah, about yeah. the same. Yeah, I would say it's probably about the same. Stone's gonna sing one here, and he's going to tell you that he's gonna love sing it. one. And I love how he just gets right into gets right up up front in the middle, and he jumps in. All right, I want to sing one.
Stone is really confident. That's what I, I like about Stone in early versions of Mankind is how confident he is with playing it and how much he wants to sing a song. I don't know if when they get to Mankind in, you know, more recent versions, I don't know if he wants to play it as much. I don't know if he feels super eager to do it. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, I just think I would just say that I I agree with that. I, I don't know, I don't have anything to add. I just think it's a very valid point in that at this point he's like excited about it and it's new and he's like relishing in the opportunity to do it where now it's like people have to chant for him to eat like it's like almost like a joke right. it's almost it's really like a joke yeah yeah and it's like right. he's a guy like you know guys like he's like shy about it almost yeah i think that's a good point i i don't know if he still well, feels the same eagerness that he had well, I, I, I've talked to him, um, Steve about this a lot, Steve Maytan, and I've talked to him about it, and he, he's been to Brad shows where people at Brad shows, they go just to scream mankind, and that's all they do, and it's just like, no, that, that's not what this is about, and I'm sure that after a while, that's had to have pissed him off, or at least I don't just remember like... When, I don't remember when I saw Brad if people were doing that. This is a long time ago. Fortunately, yeah. I don't think there is going to be any more Brad unless they. No, uh, but Stone is putting out some new material yes. very soon from what uh, what he's selling is writing. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, this this version of Mankind is a '96 version where they're incredibly it sounds really on good. It yeah, yeah, sounds great. Yeah, and it lead it leads into. I call this a little gift for the radio listeners, and they were actually teasing this a couple of times in 96, and it's not one. They couldn't do a full version of this no. in a in at this time without, you know, without the help of Chris or without the help of, of somebody else that can fill that void, but you get the little tease of Hunger Strike. Five times they did this in 96 uh, on this tour in Europe. And I find it really interesting because they just go through and they do the one verse and he's doing, essentially doing Chris's part. So 
cool that it shows up. It's, you know, obviously the audience gets a huge reaction out of it. And, and John, you got to be thinking at home, like, whoa, is Chris there? Is Chris going to come out and do this with them? Like, what what's going on in your head? I was just thinking, like, because the song was huge even still. It was still the biggest hit from, from the Temple record. And, like, I remember just thinking, like, oh, it's awesome they played it, you know. I don't think – I don't remember thinking anything about Chris, but, you know, there were always rumors that that he was going to show up and play it, you know, until it actually happened. But, yeah, I remember just thinking it was the coolest thing. And this kind of starts the the throwback section of the set where we hadn't really gotten – I don't think they're even not one ten a song. 10 song at this uh, point. Yeah, yeah. no, was, I was going no, to make that was my they, next point. Were, yeah, yeah, I think they were kind of using this as a as a way to get into the the older song section of the set. Yeah, and it's really it's not just the the older section; it's the hit section in this middle part here. Right. Yeah, and you you go from but the Hunger crowd Strike. does a good job on Hunger Strike too. I don't want to gloss over they they nail his his part on the on the bootleg. Like you can hear the crowd singing perfectly along i I, which i was actually gonna say as well i I feel like they they know in the back of their heads like it gets a really big reaction overseas i mean it'll get a big reaction in the states as well but like in their early tours you know you listen to some of these old bootlegs 92 i think about uh, there's at least a couple i could in my head um i can't remember which maybe you tracked or something but it's also more people are singing it you know, and or like it's also more special because some of these some of these places that they that they went to, there was a place in Portugal that they went to that was around this time. I don't think they've ever been back there. Um, it's like Cascades Budapest or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was I didn't want to I didn't want to butcher the pronunciation. Cascais, I don't um, know how to say, but I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't before this year. I don't think they went back to Budapest. Uh, I think there was a show from Turkey. They've never been back to Turkey. Like, there's a lot of these places they have to be thinking to themselves, all right, we have to do something that this is specifically for this crowd, that this crowd is going to remember. If they do that over in the States, in Chicago, you know, look, they can go and do that in Chicago any year at any time. Right. That's not an issue. Like, they've gotten so much that – you know, Chicago, Seattle, San Diego, New York, Boston, Philly, they've gotten so much over the years that you can't ask for for much more. You know, you, you go to places like this, you never expect to play Europe. And, and I think it was their first time in Europe since 92? No, no. Yeah, ni- was it 92? 93. 93. Yeah. But they were also not doing a lot of their own shows in 93. Mm-hmm. So 92 might have been the since the first time they were actually doing their shows. And he talks about, too, I think later, about he remembers all the times they played there. For good or bad. Right, right. Let's move on with some of the songs here. Uh, I think from this little greatest hit section, the one that spikes at me the most is probably Daughter. Um, just as fast as Daughter can be to an extent um it's it's not but it also doesn't sound like how daughters played today when they speed it up it's it sounds i don't know it sounds more like it's more cemented here instead of it's very loose when they do it now and and they speed it up i mean it's a good performance i just daughter's just not one of my favorite songs just not i like the tags honestly better than the the song itself if i'm being honest and i don't I 
on Pearl Jam on the Pearl Jam website, they don't go by the Pearl Jam website. Yeah, I, it, well, it's just interesting because they put "It's Okay" as the tag, and he says he well, starts that, that going into this lot. little improv of like talking about it because okay. that's androgynous mind. Right. That's not it's okay. Yeah, yeah. but it's like why people are you listing it as it's all okay? The time. Don't list right. it. Don't it's different. We like people know the difference. That's, it's not the same thing. That's some intern that doesn't know Sonic Youth oh, they and need to hire better interns. Hire better interns. I Can I you intern totally at Pearl Jam? I'm raising raising my hand again. I'm raising my hand again. Yes, you can because I actually a month or two ago, I met somebody that interned with them around Yield Era. That's amazing. Yeah, so he had some good stories. Stone apparently didn't know what the word intern meant. Stone didn't know what the word intern meant? No, apparently not. <laughs> I love <So>. that. <laughs> yeah. He's, Take that for what it is. He's such a dork. But, I love it. Hey, he didn't discover sarcasm until like 1990. Right. <laughs> That's great. Anything else on this greatest hit section? Uh, you, you get Androgynous Mind, which is not It's Okay. You get Noise of Carpet, which is a Stereo Lab song I'm not very familiar with. So I didn't really it was go out and see it. at the time okay. in, the, in the indie rock circles. Sure. Okay. But yeah, I mean. I, I, I probably like Jeremy the most of the three, if I'm being honest. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. You get Jeff and Stone rock out yep. a little bit together. The crowd takes it at the end. It's it's a really cool version of Jeremy. Yeah, Eddie yeah. throws to the crowd to belt it out yep. a lot in this yep. yeah, performance, that was, which is great. It's really good. It was a good moment, yeah, yeah for sure. But and, now you get into a mid-set moment here with a song that I don't remember the last time they've even played it mid-set like this, but sometimes kind of comes in and is that transition to, okay, slow it down a little bit, kind of give the crowd a little bit of a breather, and then we're going to kind of storm them at the end. Um, but sometimes in this spot, what do you think if they went back to this? I was just thinking that. It, I was about to say, like, I'm almost trying to imagine what this would be like now. I like the song a lot. I really do. And I, in this case, it's like, like John brought up before, you know, they go through that little spurt where Ed's on guitar um, in my tree, Corduroy, Betterman, Lucan, and now you get into another little spurt here. Um, you know, I'm just gonna give it, not to get too far ahead, but sometimes rearview mirror immortality, 15, 16, 17 in this first set, and I guess that's like part of the equation where it's like, okay, all right, you know, Ed's on the guitar now, like, you know, let's we're gonna play an Ed guitar song, but I I like it here. I kind of do. Like it's so randomly inserted at least in the context of like modern set lists. Like this would be like if this happened, you know, next year, we'd be like, "What? Like how like what well, that's crazy. Like why could we be talking about it?" Um I think in this era being a no-code song, it's like no one really cares. Like it's not that big of a deal. But to go back now, you know, looking back in time from from today, it's like it's really an interesting concept to, to try to think about, and I know John, you're big on set lists. Uh, you, you know how he, they plan out the set. I, in my opinion, I think they they could pull this off. Like, you know, you get a little like break where you know you got like the big climactic end of Jeremy, and it's like, all right, they're gonna bring Ed, Ed, Ed's guitar out and give it to him. And it's like I could see them going into this now. I could see it. I, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. Here's the thing. Yeah, they've, they've done weirder things. Yeah. Here's the thing with it. I think that 
they would have to stick with the 96 formula of playing with playing it instead of the current style in which they play because they, they play, play it so fast they play it really fast it's it's a sing-along and it's just meant for that opening three spot i don't yeah. think you can really insert that middle late set and have it make sense but if it's a version like this where it's slowed down a little bit more and you know it has that build it has that rise then yeah I, I'm, un, I'm into un, it i think it unfortunately really works. i think it's wishful thinking but yeah for sure I, I would love it i guess it's more of just a preference thing like if i was making a set like i would totally love to see sometimes like randomly thrown in here i mean it's a short song um like you said it's got that like sing-along vibe and everything and i don't know or even maybe out of like a first i don't know like a first encore but they usually go to the acoustics i don't know whatever i just i don't think it's ever gonna happen but it would be really cool if it did it would be cool and i remember too i remember him saying this part where he's like you know the song's between always and never you know that 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 just kind of like hit me like it's just one of those things that you never really think about but it's such a a cool way of of thinking about the song Mm -hmm. yeah uh yeah i love it here i would almost like to see him do it in like an encore one like coming out of that sit down section too right yeah that would be cool right that would be cool i I think that's more plausible in this day and age Sure. Than, uh, than what we have here. Uh, Rearview Mirror, Immortality, Alive Blood ends the set, and I'm not trying to gloss over anything. I'm just giving you the outlook of what's happening. I thought Rearview Mirror was a really fast version. Yeah. Um, blinking, it's over. There was no massive extended bridge. They just kind of nope. plowed right through it, and and that was it. Like, but John, what's you know the number one quote on this show? Oh yeah, there's there's not a bad version of it. I mean, Eddie just trying to strum and break his guitar at the end. You can he's got his head down, strumming as hard as he can at that outro part. It's it's fantastic. I mean, yeah, there there is not a bad version of Rearview Mirror. I dare you to to show me one. In between uh, Rearview Mirror Immortality, you have this weird, fast paced spoken word thing uh, from something called Museum Song. Quite a lot of bits of Roman terracotta, where we got some ribbon lava from the planks of Etna statuary. You can ride a drama dairy, you can see the temple temple, the Red Sea Park, magnetized by the battles, lady in the land of pickle breeze, striking in a stern of Port Bellasay. Promise you we're going to be showing you some Roman through a model of the rabbits of the Galloway. It says it was released in 1992 from some musical, the Museum Song from Barnum, where he comes up with this. Ed's just weird. <laughs> he's just he's, he just knows so many random from, from Jim Rose yeah, weird songs and, and and stuff and just one of those things. Um, after that little fast paced spoken word thing though, immortality can't be glossed over here because oh my god, how? All right, so that arpeggiated intro it feels like this is the very early stages of that, yes. and when we look into our evolution series of this, we're gonna have to listen to all the versions and find out when they fully started to do this but i would think that it's not that far ahead no. of what we see here definitely not it, it can't be and i love it i love that intro it's it's fun to play on guitar like like i like to play it it's just it sounds beautiful it's like the happy version of the riff Almost, it's like the ha- right. the happier sounding. Is like is it the major the, the key major key? Is it that maybe, maybe. Yeah. I've never really I never looked at the notes themselves or anything like that. But you know, just to your ear as a listener, it's 
it's like the major sounding version of the immortality riff and it's just it's just beautiful the way that it's leads into the actual riff and you know mike's shredding like, it's just it's it was really good this is a very very it's almost like in a movie or, or a tv show when uh you know things are very happy and 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 the screen is is all in color tv and then all of a sudden like you know a thunderstorm or something hits and it just the whole screen goes black and white yep. and that's when you know when they intro the actual song everything goes to black and white and that's kind of in your head in a sense but um it sounds good yeah i mean he's, he's yeah yeah this is this is one where look he, the beginning is ed's the middle is mike's the end is jack's and then everything in between stone and jeff can get little pieces of here and there but i love how everybody can get that little chance and that little moment to have that spotlight in this and never mike thought of soars. it like that yeah, Mike point. soars in this solo. Jack is just on a tear at the end. There's, I mean, there are a lot of elements that go into really good versions of Immortality. And, and there's, you know, there's almost no bad version of Immortality either. The, like, you know, from the from the idea of what's the best Immortality to what's the worst Immortality, there's not a lot of, yeah. of wiggle room there. I agree. Yeah, the the thing that's stuck out to me was like you mentioned, Jack at the end just destroys it. Like he's, I would have loved to have had this on the record. the The way he plays it, it's it's um, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. almost ends it here it's the penultimate and everything on the show is just so tight there's just it's it's i can't put my finger on the way that it flows but it's a different kind of flow with the live it's, yes. it's almost i'm so happy you it's said almost way like it's not it's not fully rock and roll it's almost kind of wavy in a bit it's a little jammy i can't put my finger on it and i think a lot of that does have to do with jack Again, I really do. It's the drumming in this. It, it's it's not bad. I don't want to say that it's bad. It's just definitely different. And it's this is like the rare case where it's like I really I'm like would like really prefer to hear Dave A or even Matt Cameron drum alive than Jack Irons. It's like one of the rare instances where I'm like, eh, I don't know. His his style doesn't really fit this song. Um it's just like 
Irons is not an arena rock drummer. Right. It's like saying. an arena, like, big, big song. You know, like, the big, huge choruses and the big solo. And it's like that. Right. Like, it's like their version he's of like, the classic rock song. He's trying to turn it into a song. Yeah. Right. It's like That's he's why I like... don't like Jack on Why Go. I thought yeah. that Jack, like, one of the songs that just did not translate well for him mm-hmm. was Why Go. And, and that. I, Many of them at, do. Many of them do, and it's like, this is a short list, but this is definitely on there, and it's like, for a song this important and popular, for him to kind of, he doesn't struggle with it, but it's just like, I I feel like when you brought, I'm glad, like I said, I'm I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought this up, because I feel the same way, and I wasn't sure if I was alone or not. All right, he thanks everybody for coming out and getting a ticket to the show, and this is where he says we have a lot of interesting shows in Germany and remembers every single one of them for the good and for the bad and uh, gives a shout-out to the uh, everybody listening onto the radio uh, tonight. Eavesdropping, and he says he's fucked up quite a few times, so thank you for making up for it. And the next song is called I'll Be Glad When You're Dead and Gone, You Bastard You. Or this blood is for you. And that's where we get into a very strong version of blood here to finish off the set with uh, a couple of tags onto it. A little fame from Bowie, a little Suck You Dry from Mud Honey. And uh, th- I don't know if I've ever heard Suck You Dry as a tag onto blood. I've heard it on Daughter before, but mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. And obviously, you know, you're going out on a big way here and Ed is smashing the mic stand into the stage trying to, you know, same thing as he was doing in Fairfax and uh, and some of those those uh, South Pacific, yeah, right, where he's and, trying to Boston, carve a hole. I think Boston into the, too, as well. Sure. In the Orpheum, yeah, yeah, where he's trying to carve a hole into the bottom of the stage, and I don't think he's able to make a dent, no. but he's you can hear not for lack of trying, on the recording, sure. right? You can engineer. hear, yeah, you can <laughs> you can hear on the recording that it's prominent. His his you know his uh, his swings. At, at the stage are very prominent on this. Yeah, the mic's picking it up for sure. Um, I, I I mean, Randy, I think you know that Blood is definitely like one of my favorite, especially these old performances. I love these old performances of Blood. Uh, one of my favorite songs. Love, 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 love the fame tag. so cool it's unique i mean there's a little echo thing yeah yeah yep. what's your name it ties yeah, it's, in it's, it's, it's perfect awesome. it ties in with the theme of the song yep right yep exactly so right. love that and this i think is the best example if you listen where and i think it the reason why is because it's the hardest song for him to sing Really listen if and just to kind of tie this back to the you know evolution of his voice thing from earlier. Really listen to the way he's singing the song. Like the, it's like he's really trying to like in real time. Like as he's singing it, and I don't know if it's just because it's like all right, it's the 19th song and he's getting a little tired or whatever. But you can really hear him trying to work his way with his voice to find like that right tone to sing the song that's like comfortable 
for him and then he's able to do it but it still sounds good where he's kind of like got this combination of like the 93 94 era and then like that warbly 95 where it sounds like he's got marbles in his mouth thing going on and then also that like really like like high like he's like really clenching like 96 98 era post this like like going further in time thing going on it's like all three things are kind of like going on at the same time it, it, it's hard it sounds dumb as i guess as i'm saying it out loud but like if you listen i think you'll understand what i'm trying to say like i don't know if you guys noticed that there's all there's all yeah there's so many moving pieces to this song that like when you get into the high parts you know he's gonna sing those so much different than you know the painted big uh turn it into part and it you know he can play around with this a little bit more and maybe that's kind of what you're you're referring to here is that there are parts where he can really growl and he can get his voice really high but then again he's got to save himself for the rest of the show he's got to save himself for the rest of the song so he holds back maybe just a little bit and he recognizes that he can't lose completely lose his energy but i Mm -hmm. I thought it was powerful. I thought oh, no, it was it's great. Oh, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's awesome. I, I love the performance. I Just making an observation. Just curious if you, if you guys noticed it. That's all. What a way to end the first set, though. Awesome. Yeah. No, definitely. And we get into an encore here, and Ed has feels like he has to address the crowds for some reason and has no idea what he said, uh, what to say. So he just says, I am a donut. I think that's a reference to a mistranslated thing. That might be yeah, a, JFK. a reference to a JFK thing. Yeah. To, yeah, well, okay. I believe yeah. it is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Still funny. Okay. He tried to say something and it got it was mistranslated or he, he said the wrong thing in German and it is at a speech back in early 60s. Is it I am right, a Berliner? Right. That's the speech. Is the I am a yes. Berliner it's speech. It's in there somewhere. Yeah. It been, yeah, right. But yeah, I, I don't know that's if that's the actual – phrase that's mistran it's not translated correctly like was he trying to say mm-hmm. i am a berliner but it right. came out as i'm yes. a donut right i would imagine yeah. that's what it is all right tight version of who you are here really six renditions of this are really good i think you genuinely you genuinely enjoy you get the sense that they enjoy this song even yes. if it wasn't a hit like you in their faces, in their attitudes, the way that they're grooving to it, like this feels like you know what's going on through their head when they decided that this was going to be their hit song or their single from from this record. Like why they liked it yeah, so much. It makes a lot of sense. They're really vibing with this song on stage. Like the, I mean, you Stone singing is really prominent in the background, doing the harmonies with Eddie. It's really cool. Come to Sam.
this is the 13th time at this point that they had played it. They've only played it 44 times ever, which is crazy. Um, just, it's just, one that I'm sure they don't want to play with Jack or didn't feel like, you know, with, with Matt, they were going to get that same aura yeah. that they do with Jack. Right. But 44 seems very low. How about this little tidbit? Mankind and Who You Are both have 44 times all-time uh, all plays. How about that? That's interesting. Uh, all right. Just even, because, I mean, think about how rare Mankind is. Right? Like, in your head, yeah. when you think Mankind, you're like, oh, okay, that's, like, crazy rare. I mean, who you are, it's the same number. It's kind of weird to think about. I've, and I've, I've seen, like, sometimes those songs, to me, especially the no-code ones, because I've seen everything from no-code except for the, Around the Bend, which is probably the rarest from the album. Yeah. But who you, I've seen Who You Are twice, and I've seen Mankind once, and they were very early on in my show going so in my mind it doesn't click that those are rarer songs mm-hmm. but when you look at it on paper and you see 44 times you're like oh that really that doesn't make much sense to me but right that's that's what it does is this, uh does this the things you were saying about who you are does that remind you of anything that uh ties in with 2020 it sounds a lot like you could have been talking about dance with the clairvoyance yeah mm. well that's the that's the comparison Right, that everyone's been making, is that yeah, you know, that or when, nothing as it seems. Yeah, yeah, like when Who You Are came out, everyone was like, "What is this?" And now, you know, Dance of the Clairvoyance comes out again. But you're talking about you know talking about them being really loose with it and yeah. experimental know, for playing, their other from yeah, their other it, sound. Yeah, yeah, I think you you could have easily been talking about Dance of the Clairvoyance there. We'll see how it how it plays out. Yep. Uh, when the tour comes back, definitely. How we're ending the show. Uh, all kind of in a row, and we'll, we'll get to all of them as we touch up, but State of Love and Trust, Not For You, Present Tense, Leaving Here, and Lead Better. And I think my major point overall is that, you know, you played your hits, you played your Alive, uh, that's usually a late song, you played your Blood, that could be an encore song, you don't have Porch, you don't have Black, you don't have some of those other songs that place into here. It's an interesting way that they designed this because, you know, outside of Leaving Here and Yell Ledbetter, these songs aren't necessarily... Closing songs. You're right, your uh, ideal closer set. Normally there's like a distinct break in the theme of the set at the encore. Right. And this one just seems like it just kept going. Exactly. It, it could have it could have just easily been one long That's set. That's exactly what I was going to say. Right. That literally what well, I was going to say. Of... It's like it just ends. It just ended. Like they're like, okay, leaving here, lead better, bye. It's like it was so random. It's, it's good, right. but it's just, you know, it's just not what we are used to. I think we're just not used right, to seeing it. The bread and butter has – arise and you know that alive it it kind of hits you and and it's telling you okay this is the signal that we're almost done we're on the home stretch yep. give it everything you got for the last couple songs and a rocket in the free world a babo riley uh you know a kick out the jams any one of those other songs gets thrown into that penultimate spot before a lead better indifference and that's you know your your party song as well and and leaving here although I really like this version of leaving here with the fast. It doesn't packs. have right. It doesn't have that same value that those other songs have that, that are meant for it. It's bread and butter for a reason. It's because it works. It's always worked and it's always going to work. 
Yeah. I just, again, I it just feels like based on current, like what I'm used to seeing in sets, it's just not traditional. It's, it's unique. This is, it's to go not for, yeah, it almost feels like not for you and blood should have been switched or something. Like you should have had not for you end the first set and then bring blood into the encore. Right, they could have done not for you in rearview mirror spot, moved rearview mirror yeah. to the end, or something like that. Yeah, or like a like a footsteps or something you would normally see open in encore one, and we, you don't get that there. There's no real break in the in the theme. It's it's just one long thing. Yep. and Const- leaving here, leaving here becomes it's that's when it becomes like the party, right? You know, and I was thinking right, about but it too. It, it's such a we different to, kind uh, of party, though. Yeah, we mean we used to dissect what order the solos came and leaving here you know right and that reminded me of doing that like oh who who had the first one oh that that, that must have been ed like did jeff get one like i that that was a big point of discussion is like what order the solos came in mm-hmm. and who got one that's funny right. I, I maybe maybe what's what's sticking at me right here and i i, I really love this version um is just present tense's addition into this because mm-hmm. it's not it almost feels like it's a mid-set song being played near the end of the set where black should have been in the place of present tense in most spots. But they're still, I think, for them, playing around with things and trying to figure out what works and seeing if a song like present tense that's only been played under 20 times, if it does work here. And, you know, later on, yeah, it's it's become an encore song and it can work in those kind of spots and be versatile. But here you don't get the fan call and response in in the verses and the and the chorus. It's it's a little different. It does not grasp the same attention live. Yeah, that it does now. Something interesting I'm noticing looking at the stats here. This was the tenth time that present tense had been played. Okay. At the same point, you know, in the same show, obviously, Who You Are, 13, Sometimes 13, Mankind, 9, In My Tree, 19, Red Mosquito, 13, Hell Hell, 20. So this, like, for no code, like, I feel like I've seen it live so many times now, present tense, and it's it's made, like, somewhat of a resurgence, I guess, over time, and, and has definitely surpassed say sometimes or who you are in in the number of times played it's much more common now but at this point and again it's a very small sample size it was played less than the other songs which kind of adds to this the the intriguing part of this little closing run here that they go with three songs to go they go with present tense and Eddie even says like you know let it, me, me and mike are going to serenade you and right it's like I don't. I wonder what the thought process was with this. I real. I'm really. It's. It's just such an interesting decision to me to to go to this song as like that. Really, like where like a live would be. They go with present tense, and it's just. It's just really odd to me. Not, but not this in a bad way. Also, not in a bad way. This was also a time where you know very early on in this tour, it didn't really stick too much. But they were playing around with around the bend mm-hmm. being the show closer, and you know that didn't stick at all. But their willingness to try things in spots that 
aren't necessarily meant to to be there, it intrigues me. And, and I think it has, at least for the future from this point, has let them grow and and uh, and figure out how what kind of setless builders they are and what kind of band that they want to present themselves in certain points on, on, on the live stage. So there's definitely a sense of experimentation here. Yeah. There's certainly some experimentation going on as far as setless construction is concerned. I mean, how many times do you really get like the songs from the album you're touring really for them? At least I feel like you don't really get a lot of them in the encore. You know, you're, 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 it's less likely that you're going to get a right, song from that album. You want, you're going to get them in the main set. A lot of them in the main set. Because you want your hits and you want right. to end the show on a memorable note. Yeah. yeah. I sure. guess it's still early enough in the career that it's tough to look at it through the lens of like, okay, well, yeah, but where's Black Porsche alive? It's different. This is, it's just a different era, I guess. I'm uh, just trying to like differentiate in my mind and be like, okay, we don't need to expect that here. It's, it's just a different time. So, but also and the thing too, we didn't really have a McCready moment in the encore without this song until you get to Ledbetter. So I think that might sure. have been part of it too. Is let's give him a moment because like that would normally be the black spot or the alive spot sure. where he would get a chance to solo. But maybe maybe that was the, him thinking like, oh, you know, we need we need a McCready moment in this encore. Yep, it's possible. Yeah, I I kind of think that the encore. And I, I think this for a lot of 95, 96 shows, I think they planned the, the main set and kind of had somewhat of an idea of what they wanted to do in the encore and then figured it out once they got backstage right. before they went back out. Well, that's definitely... I, I don't think this was all set in stone. That's what they do in the um, Randall's Island show. They say, right? Don't they say, all right, we're going to go figure out where we're going to play. We'll be right back. Right, right, you would see right, that on like the that. set list too. the The main set would be written out, and then there would just be a bunch of songs mm-hmm. for the encore, and they would go right. back and pick and, and some question yeah. marks and places. Yeah, which is for sure. Certainly, t- t- it's very interesting to me to think about that. That was the way things were at this point, where it's not just Ed being like, "Okay, I'm going to do it," and that's it, and this is what we're playing. There's this, right. a, a little more of a sense of togetherness. Let's figure it out as a team, kind of a thing going on. It's not just Ed on, on his lonesome doing it all, but. It's, it's cool. You, you do have Mike and his platform, though, on Ledbetter. This is this was all Mike to me on this. Yeah. Like he, he closes he closes this out out the show on a classic note. You know, I think I, I we always say classic shows kind of need that Ledbetter closing, and and all the, although this didn't have that same kind of build towards Ledbetter that that classic shows do, it, it's still has that intrigue that most shows do when, when, uh, when getting to the point. And then it's, it's, it's also, it's a more subdued version back in 96. They aren't going Mm -hmm. full arena rock with it. It's still bluesy. It's still, you know, very kind of jammy and Ed's not very confident with the lyrics. So, um, I, I thought this was a great Mike moment though. We 
we always say so often like how they play so many songs now so fast and I've said many times like I would take them playing a few less songs just to play the songs the way they're supposed to be played Ledbetter I never really think about and you make a really good point where it's like the bluesy versus the quote-unquote arena rock version of it and you're right it's like these early versions are much slower a lot more I don't want to say emotion or feel but it's just like the, the slowness makes it more bluesy if that makes sense it's like there's a lot yes the, the the way the style in which he's playing it like the tone of his guitar it's a lot more of like that Hendrixy Stevie Ray Vaughan thing going on whereas today faster uh, kind of just like all right here's a lot better like I'm gonna get through it and it's like I think the difference is is that you know that those those notes in the beginning where in the recorded version it's dome and yeah, on he plays it recent versions. It's very strummy. It's no na 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 na. Like it, it gets very he, strum heavy. And, I think he actually. What you're saying is, it's what hap- What's happening is, if you listen, like these old versions, it's like he's not going as crazy in the beginning, at least. Right. He, well, he's keeping it traditional. Yes. He's yeah. Keeping it to the it, traditional way. Yeah. And two, like no code didn't get a lot of radio play. So a lot of DJs had started going back and Yellow Ledbetter was one of the songs that they went to and started getting like classic rock radio play. And like 95, 96 was when it really came on as a as a set ender where it was every other night, every third night you were getting it. So it had really come into prominence around this time. That's how we're closing out this show. What though. a show. Um, yeah, very good show. It's it's up there. I th- you know, people don't really throw it in top 10 you know when you when you see generic lists of top 10s it doesn't really get put in because i I guess it's overshadowed by soldier field and and atlanta and i i don't think that's fair maybe it's just the era and it being a no code era show maybe that's why but i i think it belongs up there i think it belongs in the pantheon for sure um all right whoever wants to start give me three good john all right, Th- this is tough. Like, I could have easily picked six or seven. Like, Not For You, Blood, Jeremy, Hunger Strike, obviously. Mankind was great. Corduroy, In My Tree, we talked about. But for me, the top three are Immortality with that, the nice intro. The the Jack stuff at the end is amazing. Um, my number two is Red Mosquito. We talked about how they just explode at the beginning it has to take a moment and just it's perfect. And then my number one is long road starting off at the beginning. I talked about how it's, it's just perfect. Like this, this show's a pleasure to listen to. I'll, I've listened to it hundreds of times over the years and I will continue to do so. Nice. I will go red mosquito. Just absolutely killer performance. We've talked about, at length about Ed's miss not starting where he would be starting his singing and how it adds that flair to the performance. And it's just so much energy and so much power and just really, I think captures this era of the band very, very well. Uh, number two, I would say the fame tag in blood. I, I just love it. I really, really do. It's so good. Blood in general is such a great performance and, Love his choice of the tag there. 
and doing you know the the high pitch weird Bowie thing and from the song it's just very it's certainly unique to these uh, this performance this era of performances of blood and three I I I I don't want to just say like Jack Irons drumming as a whole but like kinda like I've given so many examples that I really liked we talked about immortality at the end and the beginning of in my tree is great but just being able to hear him you know who you are is really good with that you know, the weird drum patterns going on and it's just a very very Jack Irons heavy show and like we said it's the only full uh, date tour with him on it for the band and he's just very clearly settled in nicely into the sound of the band and I just really think that the 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 solid sounding re- bootleg recording of this show really puts him on display very prominently very well and it had been so long since I listened to this show really any Jack Irons era show and I just loved being able to go back and listen to him and I just really enjoyed his drumming which we've you know we've talked at length about throughout this entire show but really really good all right I'm gonna cheat ready I'm gonna cheat um my top three favorite moments are the stretch from last exit to red mosquito nice just doesn't matter what order red mosquito probably being number one uh, last exit probably being a close number two, but uh, that whole entire stretch made the show for me. I think that's one of the best opening stretches of any show that I've ever heard. Uh, just, you know, from the way that it sounds, from the how tight the band was, to how fired up you are going into the show and, and getting excited to listen to a show. That right there, sometimes when you, you get shows and... You know, maybe they stop after the third song or the fourth song and they talk a little bit and it kind of, you know, momentum gets a little bit halted. You're, you're kind of like, okay, what direction are they going to go in here? I, I, there was no question in what this set was going to be. You always knew that they were going to take the set where they took it. And um, I, I just, it was the first, you know, I don't, I don't want to give long road the shaft at all but i think just the energy and momentum that went through from last exit all the way to red mosquito and really if if we're cheating here you know from uh all the way up until till hunger strike was you know all of that was fantastic and it felt you know like a major part of this show was uh was special and that's i'm just gonna use that all right let's uh let's rate it Good, John. Ten. I don't want. I feel like John's gonna get mad at me. I, I'll, I'm gonna say eight and a half. <laughs> what? Yeah. No. Why? Just, I don't. I don't know. It's just. An, I don't know. <sighs> it shouldn't be lower than a nine. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to justify that a little more. I would say the 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 like the end i don't know the end is like so random to the point where it's like it kind of takes away a little for me i I guess i'm just so accustomed to the way they do it now that it it makes me but again it's like the performances are fine like they're good but i don't know now i feel like maybe i should have just said nine 
<laughs> I think anything less than a ten is the, the John is going to make. Are good, he says. They're they're fine. They're fine. The performances are fine. I, I don't mean it like that. Don't worry. I don't mean it. I don't mean it like are fine. when I say fine. I don't mean it like yeah. oh they were just fine. I mean like they they were they were good. I enjoyed them. Well, I don't but, know how much better you can get that's the thing I know, I know and they didn't play a lot of 10 which is cool which no, i'm not knocking 10 but like it makes it unique it was it was a versatile show for yeah you know being a 96 show can i change it to nine? i feel like we're swaying you i feel like we're swaying i'll you. just all right i'll say nine i'll say nine good good that's that's good enough um oh everybody knows i have a tough time on rankings and um I if I could go back and change some I would I don't think I gave Atlanta a 10 when I did it but I would give Atlanta a 10 today cuz I would give it a 10. I know better um I don't know if I gave Soldier Field a 10 but I think I would John I would give Atlanta I, I a 10 does that make you feel better uh a little bit okay. a little Sorry, bit right again but I, I also have a very, I have a very hard. I, I, it's it's tough. I have a tough time to to giving songs tens because they have to a mean something to me personally. They also have to mean something in the history towards the band, which this has. This definitely has that. Uh, well, this per, this was a this was a top five show at the time, and it's probably still a top twenty show. I would think. I think this is a top 20 show. I think that is arguable. And and for that, how it's just a question of how many 10 shows are there and how many songs that I get. Like well, it's Philadelphia 2016. And oh, then shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh, shut the fuck up. Stop being. Fucking... <laughs> just for that. Uh, I'm giving you know, I mean, think and about, a half. If it, just if for that. If, if it's in the top 20 of a thousand shows, yeah. then you're talking about the top. Yeah. But the, also, top Randy, I'm with you. I, that, that's kind of why I said I didn't have it. It's like, you, you know, what are you going to say? Every song, every performance, every show's a 10? You know what I mean? It's like, well, I don't want to just like give it a 10 because like, it's, it's a great show. Like, that's, that's if, where I'm coming top, from. If the top 2% isn't a 10, then Right. Is? And then now that's, well, my, that was my next point is that John, the way John frames it, it's like, okay, well, then maybe. I gave, I gave a, a show like Chicago Regal <laughs> Theater. I gave that nine and a half. I might, from an enjoyment standpoint, I might enjoy that one better, more than I enjoyed this one. Mm-hmm. But it's just. You know, it's the way that things hit you. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm very conflicted. That's and where I'm coming from. Point. That's it's what I was only saying. Half a point, but it has. To, but I, I'm at least like in between ten and nine and a half. You were in between nine and and eight and a half. There, mm. that's that's a that's a difference. Mm. I don't know. I'm like I'm like nine point eight. Yeah. So it's like I knew a, you were gonna come up with like a. Nine point seven nine three four. No, it's a, we're not doing pie. It's a, divided by. It's a yeah. stick man. I mean, it's some. a stick man with yeah. without two fingers. Sure, something like or that. a lock of yeah. hair. <laughs> yeah, something something like that. It's like, yeah, it, it's very tough for me to give shows tens, but it, this is as close as I can get to a ten without it being a ten. Okay, so. 
All right, next week we have another Around the World show that we're doing, and we are going to do – it's going to be a short one. It's going to be from 92, Vienna, Austria. We've done a lot of shows around that era, and you know that, that June of 92 where um, you know they were they, Pink Pop was around that, and, and that Stockholm show that we did a couple weeks ago was around that. I think we did Zurich, and that might have been the night before this show. But um, this was, yeah, Austria, we wanted to get Austria in there somewhere because there was supposed to be an Austria show on uh, on the tour this year. So we're, we're just going to do it anyway. It's a 14-song set, so it might be uh, a quicker show, probably quicker than this one. So, all right, Buckley, thank you for, uh, for joining us. Thank you, and guys. Hopefully we can get back to you uh, very soon. Yeah. And maybe get back to another Jack Iron show with you. Definitely. And, uh, you know, for everybody, for anybody that wants to, you know, send in an email, live on Four Legs Podcast, the number four at gmail.com. You know, let us know what you think. And uh, if you like the, this episode, we'll send you a bootleg of, of some sort. So this may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. And I miss you always. Until next week, we'll see you all next time. I'm a donut. I also am a donut. I'm not. I'm a croissant. Yeah, yeah, yeah.